continuing in our series this morning, The Joy of Knowing. Joy of Knowing, this is 1 John. So if you would turn to 1 John chapter 2, our passage will be 18 through 25 this morning. First John two eighteen through twenty five. We'll read it together and then we'll bow for prayer and ask God's help to understand his word today. In verse eighteen, it says children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. This, this is the promise which he himself made to us eternal life. Let's bow for prayer and ask God's help. Gracious God, by your mercy we are here this morning. By your appointment you have brought us here. And so you have for us in your word strength, understanding, encouragement, and yes, sometimes chastisement. And so I pray that this morning that through this that you will be glorified and honored But in this, we would understand your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Open it to us today. May we be changed by the working of your word. And may we become more like Jesus, we who know him. May we abide. Abide. May we know the joy of abiding in Christ. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Have you ever heard of situational awareness? Situational awareness. Uh, If... You are part of the military or a past or a part of um, law enforcement. I'm sure that you have. You've heard of this term and understanding it. And it's situational awareness is a skill, and it's a skill that can be learned. Um, but it's basically of knowing what's going on around you. It's having awareness of everything that's around you and uh, what particularly in the line of work of law enforcement or military, of the dangers that are around you and being aware and how to adapt and overcome. John Boyd, an Air Force fighter pilot many years ago, developed what he called the OODA loop. Observe, orient, decide, act. Four of them. And in the air facing an enemy fighter, the one who cycles through that loop the quickest is usually the one who wins. I had a, uh, an opportunity to read a book uh, about two years ago. It came out in uh, 2014. I heard about it soon thereafter. And it's a book called Left of Bang. Um, so if you're looking at a linear timeline, bang is the gunshot or the bomb that goes off. And linear left is before that. Right is not good. Right's after the bad stuff has happened. Left is before. 
And so in 2007, the Marines began to actively train this combat profiling technique that they would take to Afghanistan, would take to Iraq, particularly in that time. And uh, this gentleman here um, basically codified it, worked in the Marines, but also brought it together and published a book of this that would give situational awareness. Uh, they, would, they would teach things how to uh, demographically, how to situationally from the, just the feel of the room, they call it kinetics of what's going on, of, of how to be aware. Uh, they would also often walk into a village and there would be one person talking and he would be the one who you would think automatically would be the leader, but they trained the Marines to notice that this person kept looking at this one man in the background and he was actually the leader. He was this one up here that was making the talking and making the speech was the, just the mouthpiece. So they learned to, to come and be situationally aware in a village, in a town, for their own safety. In fact, um, the, the writer of this said, he said, as he sat in the class for the first time, having gone through, I think, two or three tours of duty, he said, I became visibly angry because I, I wished I had had that the previous tours. And so now uh, this is training is all for those who go out. But it's, basic, it's basically boiled down to a situational awareness. How, how aware are you in the situations in which you find yourselves? Um, but being alert is critical. Being aware of what's going on, having the assurance that you, are, uh, you understand and you can handle yourself in a situation like this is also very important. Having that assurance that you can recognize and then staying connected with your unit as all of you are doing this together is very important. And there really are many parallels in the Christian life. See, it's easy as a servant of Christ, a follower of Jesus, to become, I don't know, blind to things going on around you. The observational awareness is not there. The situational awareness is, is no longer there. Maybe it's the mundaneness of life that we just get used to life. And it kind of drones on. And we get in a, a, in a pattern, in a rut, and we, we repeat things over and over. And that just becomes our, our mode of maintenance for life. And as we, as we sink into that, often the case we lose faith in who God is. We doubt the promises of God. We lose assurance, maybe not in our salvation, but assurance of what we are about as believers, what we are to be there for, here for. And so we drift, not strengthening one another, not coming and being called to the mission that God has called us to. The, the mission that God has, has strengthened us for, has given us the ability, we lose our situational awareness, as it were. And it's almost as if this, in this passage, John is calling us, beckoning us to be aware of what's going on around us, of being alert, of understanding where we live, and maybe the time in which we live. We think of left of bang. The time of which we live Maybe this is what he's saying through here, that we, as we look into the passage, that we as believers should be situationally aware of where God has us and what he asks us to do. Number one, be alert. Be alert. Let's look at verse 18. Be alert. He uses the word children, which he's done already before, the term of endearment of, of his great love for them. And he says, it is the last hour. 
that is the last hour. Look at 17. Look at 17. The world is passing away. And we think about this in context of uh, uh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, part of life. But 17, the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. John is setting us up to think uh, with a, a time in mind. Think of, of how to interpret what we're doing here. He says this is the last days. The world is passing away. He says because of that, they're anti, the antichrists are coming. Now you say, wait a second, say, see, last days, he said this mm, almost 2,000 years ago, and we're still here. What does he mean by that? Well, really, literally it's the last hour, the last hour, and this last days is, is kind of what Paul says. Um, he says, be, be aware, think about redeeming the time. But in the New Testament, the last hour of the last days refers from that period of time from when Christ came the first time and when Christ returns in power and glory. Now, Paul also kind of gives us an understanding there's a last day and the last day. There's a last hour and the last day. Um, but you think about it, John 6.39. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that I, he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father. Um, Jesus' return is not revealed, Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and the hour, knows, no, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father alone. 2 Peter 3, 3. And this, it kind of gives us an idea. Know this first, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Um, First, Second Timothy 3.1, just kind of give you an idea. Paul writes to Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. So you have this flow, this idea that as we rush toward, and it doesn't seem like rushing sometimes, but as we rush toward the second coming of Christ and his power and his glory, there are this time, and, and scripture portrays an increasing intensity of trouble. But the believers are to live in readiness for that. Uh, for this reason, in Matthew 24, be ready. You must be ready. If you don't know the day or the hour, the Son of Man comes. That idea of readiness, of understanding the situation, the timeline, that we are to be ready for when he comes, to be alert. You don't know the day nor hour. Now, but why is he still tearing? Ever thought about that? Well, God, wouldn't it be easier that if you just saved us and boom, now we come? Now, we're, we're in heaven. And I think Second Peter tells us so clearly of this in three nine, 8 and 9. He says, But do not let this one fact escape you, your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So you understand, God, time, he's not bound by time. But he says, The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness. God is not being slow on purpose, that he's just making it slow, that we are to feel that slowness. However, he has a purpose of this, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is keeping that last day open for those to come to Christ. Do you understand? Last day, last hour. But not only are we to be alert because it is the last hour, we are... Time is coming for, for Christ to return, but also to be alert because of the opposition. The Antichrist is coming, and he says in a second here, many Antichrists have appeared. And as John writes, he states that the opposition, the opposition that he is 
seeing and indeed the readers of this epistle are feeling. Now we've said in the context of this, there were kind of a pre-Gnostic thought going on. Uh, They were saying that, uh, many different things. First of all, that Jesus really um, wasn't God in the flesh here on earth. Maybe he, he touched down for a bit, but he left before he went to the cross. So God wasn't on the cross, it was just a man, a shell. And then they, they kind of grew on that as it went, that, that you know what? My physical body is separate from my spiritual body, so I can do whatever I want in my physical body. I can sin, do whatever thing, but it doesn't touch my spiritual. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm the supreme, you know, kind of being that's untouched. I'm with the, the consciousness of God. And so he's fighting this, and so he says, you know that the Antichrist is coming. There's a spirit of Antichrist, those who oppose Antichrist, opposing God. And even, indeed, there are many have appeared, and they have felt them. And here it is, the Spirit demonstrates that there are some in our own ranks. Look at uh, verse 19. Many Antichrists have appeared. There's no, uh, yeah, they went out from us. Okay, wait, you mean there were some within the body there that, that John is calling Antichrist, little a, Antichrists? They are opposing Christ? Yes. He says there, there were, but they were not really of us, he says in verse 19. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. And those who are opposed to Christ will not stay long in the body of Christ. They will not stay in fellowship with, other, with, with believers because they are indeed not believers. They will fragment, they will separate from that for whatever excuse they will separate from a body of believers, from the church universal. They go off and do their own kind of thing. And he says, that's how you know them. That they will leave. They, don't want, they will not have, want to have any fellowship with believers. Now, he, he continues. And remember, we talked about John writing this in a spiral. And he'll state a, state a theme, go to something else, and he'll come back around. And we're going to come back to his come back around on 22 he talks about this. What is this mark of those who are anti-Christ, who are against Christ? Who is a liar, he says in verse 22, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Another way to recognize them is not only will they not have fellowship with other believers who love God, but they will deny that Jesus indeed is God, that he is the Christ, the one sent from God. They'll deny that. And this one he calls a liar. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So the, it starts with denying Christ, and then it, then it spreads to denying the Father and how, how God has revealed himself through his word. And so you have this apostasy. Notice in 19, and then as he, he flavors this in 22, all of this, notice the out of us, um, or of us, or of us, or with us. All right? In 22, he's a liar, but Jesus uh, denies the Father also. All, as he's doing this, he's, he's saying there's two things to know. An antichrist, one who sets himself in opposition, will always deny that Jesus is the Christ. Deny the Father. But also, this one will separate. They will not remain of us. A couple years ago, there was a popular video on YouTube. Uh, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I'm going to pull out from the church. You know what? You can't be a believer and pull away from the body of Christ. If you are, you are at best a disobedient believer. I'm not saying particularly this body of Christ. I'm not saying if you leave this church, you're in trouble. No, I'm not saying that. 
I mean, we'll be sad. We'll run after you, cry after you. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you don't want to be with other believers, at best you're uh, disobedient, but at worst you're not a believer. Because the mark of the believer is that they want to be with other believers. They want to be together. So verse 23, the denying. Who denies the Son does not have the Father. Notice this, the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So he's setting up a contrast of those who oppose God and those who love God. He says, I want you to be alert. I want you to understand there's urgency for time. There's urgency in your life. It may be that God continues some more thousands of years or so past our point, but we all must come to the realization that our time is short, that I don't have a long time, that you don't have a long time. If by reason of strength, 80 years, the psalmist says, our time is short. The urgency of being alert, of being situationally aware of who you are in Christ and what you're to be doing. You have a mission. We have a mission. We have contextualized it for us, reaching souls, building lives together in love. The dual track of the Great Commission of going and reaching and building the lives of believers as they come and as we interact with them. Together in love. The urgency. But also we are alert to opposition. We should be alert to opposition. How alert are you? How alert are you? Um, I, I love what Paul said about the Bereans as opposed to what in Acts was said about the Athenians. Athenians always look for some new thing, something new to come along that's more fancy. Bereans, they searched out the Scripture. They stayed tied to Scripture. And they even searched out the message that Paul was bringing to them to make sure it lined up with Scripture. Alertness, not only urgency, but his opposition and understanding what God has said. Um, at Find Great People, where Vicky works, uh, a year ago, two years ago, the CEO sent around a, uh, a little small you know, dollar frame from Hobby Lobby or something like that. And inside it, there was a, um, there was a little thing laser printed. It wasn't fancy. Um, and it said, the phrase, the powerful urgency of today. I got that right? The powerful urgency of today. What he was trying to, to uh, impress upon those who were there was that today, take action today. Take action. Don't put it off to someone to another day. Put, put off procrastination to another day. Uh, the powerful urgency. We know that, that filters the life of the believer. We think we have a lot of time. We think we have opportunities tomorrow when we should be alert today. We should be alert today. Are you alert? Secondly, look at this passage that John tells us to be assured. He gives us assurance because here is the beautiful thing. He's been talking about those who oppose um, chapter 1, chapter 2, those who oppose Christ or away from Christ or not in the body of Christ. But here he talks about assurances and he does this with this incredible verse. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. What is he saying here? What is it that he is, he is revealing to us? He's saying this. You have anointing. Well, 
Is this something after salvation? No. This actually is the work of the Holy Spirit coming into the life of the believer. You have received the Holy Spirit. The, the word anointing here in this particular way as presented in the Greek is only found here in verse 27. This verse and then verse 27. There is the, the cognate verb of this, to anoint, and that's found in other places in the New Testament, and that is to anoint or lay uh, oil on or to lay hands upon. Uh, but this noun points to the result of the action. You have, because of Christ, received the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Holy One there. Remember John, um, a few, actually, just a chapter before we read our scripture reading, John 16. He said, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. 15.26 says, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Jesus said, I will send this one, that Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. He will testify about me. For you have an anointing from the Holy One. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and you all know. So what's he saying there? What's this idea that he is saying that you all know? Well, the idea here is that we have knowledge, this anointing, but the Holy Spirit gives us knowledge. It's not the, the, um, the, the verb that we saw in the first chapter. It's the oida, which is also a knowledge. And this is understanding the difference between false teaching and the true doctrine of Christ. And the Holy Spirit gives that knowledge. Some of the readings have, you know all things, uh, pointing to believer, but I don't believe that's quite the, exactly how it is. I, I think the, uh, the reading would say, better you know all things, but we do not know all things, that's for God, but we know all that God has given us, and that he's given us his truth. And this is not a new truth. This is not new. We'll see here in a second as we go to, well, let's do it now, verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. You've already seen the truth, but because you do know it, and because of no lie is of the truth. The Holy Spirit has given to each believer the understanding of the truth. You've received the truth of the gospel. Hebert quotes Barclay in the commentary. He says, the greatest Christian defense is simply to remember what we know. The greatest Christian defense is simply to remember what we already know. He's not talking about some second filling or some unusual thing. It's, it's what we already know of the gospel. What we already know to remember, to understand the Holy Spirit. And that assurance comes from the Holy Spirit and the truth that we receive from the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit uses his word. Throughout Scripture, we see the Holy Spirit, especially in the New Testament, speaking to us through His Word. Not some voice on the radio, but through God's Word. He speaks to it. And so that assurance comes. And look at what He's saying here, the assurance part of it. Again in verse uh, 20. But you have anointing from the Holy One. See how reassuring this is. You all know, you've received, as Paul would, would, would write also, you've received the sealing of the of the Holy Spirit. You have that imprinted upon your soul that you know that you are His. And 21, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth. He's assuring these people because if we were reading this as the original readers were, after all these things about the people who are departing and leaving and those who are sinning, we might be tempted to think, well, am I one of those? And he says, let me reassure you 
you that have the Holy Spirit in you, you've received Him. And you know the truth. You know the truth. I'm reminding you of this. So Jesus, through Jesus, we have salvation from sin. The assurance to know the truth and to act upon it. It is possible sometimes for the believer, and maybe you've been here at various times in your life, to, to because of sin, maybe it is the wickedness around us, or maybe it's for whatever circumstance to doubt that we are in the love of God. And sometimes it's help, helpful if we continue to sin, John will write later on, if we're continually practicing sin, that's the pattern of our life, then we do not know Christ. But we do know that, as Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes, that there's a sin nature within us. And we often are discouraged. And John is writing to remind us that if we have Christ, we are in Him, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, we have an advocate with the Father. And 2, we have the forgiveness of our sins, the reassuring process that as we are aware of who we are in Christ, we have the assurance that He has loved us. He does love us. He has given salvation. We have currently the work of God in our heart and salvation. And it's just a matter of time before we, the end of, end of uh, this passage of 25, experience eternal life in the presence of God. Assurance. And what a comforting thing to know that Jesus loves us and the truth is in us. And we know that when we have the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, revealing God's Word to us. That's why I always pray before the message that the Holy Spirit, pray that God with the Father would send the Holy Spirit to help us understand the truth of God's Word. For it to work in our heart and it, it to do the work. See, my words, you'll, you'll forget them in 20 minutes when you're on the way to lunch. After lunch, you'll say, what are you talking I don't know. I remember First John, okay? And you can come back to, to the Word all the time, and that's good. We have an assurance coming back to what God does, what the Holy Spirit does. Last thing I want you to see here in this passage is to be abiding. Be alert. Be assured of His work in your heart, of the Holy Spirit, and whether it's grammatically correct or not, be abiding, okay? Abide. You abide. We can do it understood. It followed the, the path here. You, you, you get what I'm doing here. I had to put B in there. Verse 24. As for you, let that, this is an imperative, this is a command, this verb is, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Three times the idea of abiding, of continuing and remaining in the Son, in the Father. How important is that to us? See, positionally, we have salvation. We have come to Christ. We've come, received forgiveness of our sins. He has cleansed us by His blood. We are set on the way to heaven. We have eternal life in our future. Right now, we possess it. We may not be in the presence of God, but we have that given to us. But the thing that rejoices our heart presently is the abiding of Christ in us. 
He's in our heart. But there's a thing that that God also speaks of for us in this New Testament age of us abiding in Christ. Have you ever been there when you know Christ is abiding in you, but by your life and by your practice, you're not abiding in Him? And your conscience pricks you. does me. And it, it kind of keeps reminding you. Hopefully, you are feeling that. You're not quenching that. You're not shoving aside the Holy Spirit. So, nah, no, down, down. Quit, quit, quit bothering me. Get behind me. And he says, abide in me. Abide in me. In, in John 15. Let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. So what is he saying now? What is the that? So we know we need to abide in Christ, the Father. The that is the gospel message. So what John is saying here is, let the gospel message abide in you. The realization of the gospel message. Someone has once said, you should preach the gospel to yourself daily. Why would you do that? I've already, if you're a believer, I've already come to Christ. Why do I need the gospel daily? To remind us of what Christ has done for us. Just as we observe the ordinance of the Lord's table, Lord's supper, to show his death until he comes, we remember as we preach ourselves the gospel, we understand the payment that was made for our sin. What a beautiful thing. What a horrible thing for Christ to suffer the sins of the whole world upon himself, but beautiful in the fact that he took our sins upon him, himself. And through his stripes, Isaiah says, we are healed. And so we abide in the gospel work with us, which you've heard in the beginning. In the beginning, the, not the beginning of time, the beginning of when the gospel came to you. Abide in that. You tell yourself that. You remind yourself of that. Not some new thing. It's the gospel. That reminds us the gospel is simply, if you've not heard that term before, the good news. That's the word, the good news. And the good news unfolds of Jesus Christ who came to die upon the cross to take your sin and my sin upon himself. That indeed is the gospel. It's what you've heard from the beginning. If that abides in you, that's in you, you will abide in the Son. And you'll and the Father also. Now that is hard for us to understand because if we remember the gospel part about us being in sin and black and horrible and our sin affront to a holy God, to now because of Christ and his righteousness be able to stand before God, clothed as it were, the garment of Christ's righteousness, we now have standing not because of ourselves. We abide in Christ. We abide in the Father. It's miraculous. Yes, it is. But it is ours. It is yours. It is mine as we come to Christ. So we abide in that. We abide. We we live in that. Moves to verse 25. This is the promise he's made himself to us. I love how the emphasis of this is. The promise which he himself made to us. John 14. John 14. I go to prepare prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will bring you unto myself, that where I I am, he said, you may be also. Thomas, later on, verse 6, 7, he says, Lord, how how can we go? That's fine. We don't know the way. And Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And this is the promise that he made eternal life. That through his death and his resurrection, we now have a future secured in heaven, eternal life. And this is the promise he's made to us, eternal life. And that's incredible also. Two great promises right here. The promise of abiding in Christ and Christ in us and the promise of eternal life. And this is why that in the urgency of the time and us living our lives and burning up and out for Christ, we don't take any account of ourselves and our own lives because we know what's, what's prepared for us. We don't hold dear unto ourselves our own lives because it is a privilege to live our lives for Christ to have him do with us as he will. We have a promise. We have a secure promise. We have the abiding presence of God. We are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have that anointing in us, and we know the truth of the gospel so that we may, in the power of the urgency of this time, may understand and watch the opposition, but may take the gospel to them and indeed to the whole world. And we are aware of the situation where God has placed us, and we rejoice in it because he has privileged us, he has given us the opportunity to live for him and to serve him here. And what a joy of the assurance of Christ. And so I ask you, do you know where you are? Do you know what time in which you live What's your situational awareness? Are you alert? As Paul would say, are you redeeming the time? See, as a believer, it's a wasted life that lives for oneself. Yeah, but I got a lot to do, Stacey. Don't we all? I think it's one of Murphy's laws. I need to look this up. I've said it over and over. Uh, that uh, the available time will be filled up. No. Yeah, something like uh, you will fill up all the time that you have. Whether you need all that time or not, you'll fill it up with something. Someone can text me the, the, uh, the exact quote. One of Murphy's laws. Whoever Murphy was. And we do. We fill up our time with stuff that's wasted, that's going to burn up. What are you doing with it? What am I doing with my time? For those of you who need the assurance of Christ's love, not only in salvation, but in daily life, forgiveness of sin, be assured, if you have received Jesus, give the assurance. And so live in the power of that insurance, not in the power and the crippling hold of doubt. Because Christ uh, wants you to live in strength. Satan wants you to live in doubt. We're paralyzed in doubt. Live in the strength and abide. I love John 15. I love John 15. John has the heart of the Savior, I believe, as he writes to us the Savior's word. But the Holy Spirit, abide in me. As John writes here in the epistle of 1 John... That theme must have been just soaked up by John as he sat at the feet of Jesus day after day. And it's the heart of John. Dear children, children, 
Be alert. Be assured. Be abiding in Christ. Let's bow. Gracious God, for your mercy we plead. And Father, we thank you for who you are. Your grace has been evident to us who know you. And Father, there are this morning hearts that have been resistant, believing hearts that have been resistant to your call upon their life. And so this morning, what I, I pray that they would be situationally aware. But, oh God, that they would see that there is only one life. And the importance of that life is to be lived for you. Oh God, I pray that you would, by your mercy, work in that heart, dig around. Lord, it may be rough for a while. You may have to dig a bit. But grab those hearts, turn them toward you. Lord, may they, may they live in the awareness of who you are and what you've given them to do. Father, if there are those here who do not know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, I pray and plead with them they would know the relief, the forgiveness of sin. They would know the joy of abiding in you. Lord, that you would open their eyes to see your glorious truth. Father, help us to live in the presence of the gospel, preaching to ourselves every day. Help us to be alert to what you have for us, to those around us who need your love sown through us. May your grace and mercy be exhibited through our daily actions and lives. It's in Christ my prayer. Amen.